power hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Well, I'm... Uh, talking on this Power Hour on a Monday, September 30th, and we are hearing all sorts of reports about the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change new report, all sorts of controversy about it. Are they ignoring the fact that there's been a pause in global warming, so to speak, over the past 15 years? What's the significance? What about the oceans? All kinds of, of things. Um, and on this week's episode, I'm going to give you a bit of a, a different perspective, uh, which is actually my perspective. Uh, I'm going to uh, share with you a talk I gave in Santa Monica month, month and a half, two months ago called How to Think About Global Warming. And it's one of my favorite talks because what it does really draws upon my background coming to energy, which is philosophy. And part of what philosophy does is help you question things, question assumptions, question premises. And this episode is really about questioning the way we're taught to think about global warming, questioning such questions as, do you believe in global warming or is climate change real? That sort of thing. And through this philosophical dissection of the issue of global warming, I think it will become very, very clear uh, where the truth lies and what to really pay attention to. And I'll give you a hint. It's not the exact amount of warming or cooling in Antarctica, which is the sort of debate uh, that occurs today. Most of the debate that occurs today is obsessed, obsessed with any little kind of change in the global climate system and what that means exactly for future similar or different changes in the global climate system versus the global human population, who should be our primary concern. And if we look at uh, trends with that, those are a lot more revealing than any given 10 or 20 uh, year trend with any arbitrary aspect of the global climate system, which is infinitely complex that we choose to focus on. Anyway, not to give away the whole talk uh, because it's coming up next. So I hope you enjoy it and I'll talk to you on the other side. Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Actually, it's nice. I haven't spoken in a couple months, um, which is really nice because I'm on the road all the time, uh, but it's really fun to talk to more than one person at once. Um, I think the last place I spoke to were 1,800 people, so you, it's, it's a little bit more intimate, so I'll have a little bit more um, interaction. So I think that sometimes when you speak, you get to choose the title, but in this case, I think the title was chosen for me. So what's, what's the title? Like, the, the Collapse of the Global Warming Hooks. So A, unfortunately, hasn't collapsed, and B, we're going to talk a little bit about whether hooks is the right way to think about it. And, um, 
you indicated, my background's in philosophy, and I think a lot of what we try to do at Center for Industrial Progress is before just jumping into an issue, like sort of stepping back and thinking, like, what's the right way to approach this? Because if often the way we'll encounter an issue for the first time is from the media. They'll, they'll put forward a question like, is there global warming? And then the, the default response can be yes or no, but maybe it's maybe it's the wrong question. Maybe the question itself is is um, trying to put something over you. Um, and that's that's kind of where I want to where I want to start. So I'll, I'll I want to introduce a couple of concepts. One is I'm going to discuss this global warming issue as a delusion, not a hoax. And then just to preview, there are going to be two other concepts. So we have the concept of delusion. And then two other concepts are going to come from Ayn Rand, for those of you who are familiar. Can you guys all hear in the back? No, it's, it's air. I apologize. It's, I can't really get the air conditioning any lower. Oh, no, I, uh, I can speak louder. It's fine. It's just you guys are pretty close. No, no, it's air conditioning that I uh, that we were talking about back then. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, no, I can't solve that. <laughs> uh, it's the global warming. Yeah, yeah well, uh, allegedly, if, if only we were using fossil fuels, it would be very comfortable. <laughs> Okay, so just, just to sort of preview, like in terms of three concepts I think are helpful for this issue. So one is going to be the idea of, of a delusion, a mass delusion. Two is going to be something called a package deal. And three is going to be called an unchecked premise. So we'll get into what those are, but it's going to be delusion, package deal, unchecked premise. And hopefully by the end of it, uh, you'll be able to think more clearly about global warming and the next uh, delusion. So let's talk a little bit about delusions. Anyone want to give like a rough definition of what you think a delusion is or, or a mass, a mass delusion? <laughs> <laughs> Anything in Newsweek time or? <laughs> so that is, insanity is a bit more extreme. That's an example, allegedly. Would it be a belief in something that's not true? Yeah. A, a fervent yeah. belief in something that is inherently not true, attaching additional uh, emotions to something that's not underpinned by logic. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a very strong belief in something that is is incorrect, and we often think about it in an individual context. So, for instance, you know the, the concept of delusions of grandeur. So, someone's a businessman; he's been in business for 40 years. He never makes any money; he loses money. But the next business is going to be the one that you know that's going to be uh, the successful one. Now, that's even less of a delusion than some of the things, because at least that hypothetically you could say, well, he could strike it rich or whatever. Um, but in in the culture, what we have historically is we have people believing in things that are just uh, flat out false. So can anyone think of just historically when have people when have a lot of people believed in something very strongly that turned out to be completely wrong? Yes, in the red. Oh, in the red. Yeah, okay. So Adolf Hitler. So that's actually I think a more important example because what will the narrative that we're fed is okay. Well, a long time ago we didn't have modern science, which is true. So people came to conclusions such as the Earth is flat. Well, that history is very misrepresented because the Greeks knew that the Earth uh, was round. Um, but in any case, there's this idea, but that in the modern era, we have scientists, and scientists tell us the truth, and so there's not going to be any more mass delusions. So if someone says, well, there's this catastrophic global warming, you need to change your whole way of life, well, the scientists say it. I mean, what could be, how can you protest? I mean, it's science, right? So do we have any modern examples? Do scientists? A which, sort of delusion? Which sentences? Yes, yeah, so we're going to come back to that. So it, can we think of an example in the modern era, the modern scientific era, so yes. the last 110 years, where there's been a mass delusion despite 
the presence of scientists or perhaps what, endorsed what by scientists. What about 1974, <laughs> I think it was, they said it was a global cooling, Freezing. global whatever. Yeah. Right, so one is that there was a, a fairly popular belief in, in a general catastrophic cool. It wasn't as popular as today. Today is much more widespread. But that's one. But what about maybe earlier in the century? Someone actually mentioned one. Uh, Lysenko well, affair Lysenko. in Russia. Russia. Yeah, so Lysenko is an interesting that's example and isn't quite, is an important example. But Lysenko is an issue of sometimes a dictatorship will take a monopoly position on a scientific question and it'll impose it on everyone. And that can lead uh, to a delusion. In that case, it was he had a very false genetic theory and he imposed it on the population and many people starved. Um, but what about then in, in a free country or in a relatively free country? We have at least two big examples in the last 110 years of, of, a ma of mass delusions. Bleeding for curing. Well, that's older, but yeah. So what about, so someone mentioned Adolf Hitler. Yes. Right? So would, um, yeah, and so those are the two examples. So Hitler, so like, uh, they're, they're similar things, but the eugenics movement, and then we can just call it like the yeah. modern racist movement. So let's, let's take uh, racism. So what, what, the core idea of racism is that your mind is determined by you know, the color of your skin. Like it's basic content. Part of it is intelligence, but more is just the way you think, whether you're a full human being or not, is determined by skin color. Now, this is a readily refutable idea. I mean, all you have to do is meet one person of a race who has a functioning brain, and you know that people of that race have... So it's, it's a very easy thing to win in a modern era where anyone uh, is free. So certainly Germans had access to the idea that, uh, you know, a Jewish person could be have any number of good qualities. Like even if you met a Jewish person who was a jerk, you could meet a Jewish person who's like who's a very good person. So you couldn't say, oh, all Jewish people are disposed toward expat trade. And yet you have a whole nation who elected by a plurality the Nazi party. And it wasn't that they elected that party with the protest of scientists, but in fact that some of the most prestigious scientists uh, and particularly the representatives, and this is important, like the official bodies of science uh, were in favor of this. And they said, yeah, there's a lot of scientific truth to it. And you had enough, the Nazi regime was one consequence, but in the U.S., um, well, obviously there's all sorts of, of racism in the U.S. And around the world, you just have this idea, I mean, you really had a whole bunch of people exterminated because of this delusion that all the problems were caused by this one inferior race. So it's Margaret Sanger. Yeah, that's, that's uh, later, later. But yeah, that's that's a, a different uh, category of issue. So what I'm, I just want to establish at the beginning is that it is possible. It doesn't prove that the global warming issue is a mass delusion, but we have to realize when we think about it that it's very possible for this kind of phenomenon. It's a very common phenomenon in a culture. So if someone who doesn't understand an issue, just a layman or a citizen, is encountering a claim and someone says, look, all the scientists agree, so you should submit and do X, they need to know, no, this is a very common pattern in history, and it often means there's a delusion, so I need a way of thinking about it independently instead of just conceding. And that's where the other two ideas are going to come in, how to think about it. Uh, better. And then the other issue, which is, was even more widespread, was the, the eugenics movement. So racism, you can think of as a form of genetic determinism. It says that you know, the color, so if my background is mostly Jewish, that's what determines my mind and, and worth. Um, and then the eugenics movement was all kinds of different genetic characteristics are what matter. And as a result, what there was this view that 
there was, and, and this is really parallel to global warming, to, to that whole movement, is that, you know, there are a bunch of people of good genetics and a bunch of people in bad genetics. And there's a crisis because the people of bad genetics are having kids, and that means the bad, you're gonna, it's called like a dilution of the quality of the gene pool. And you know, I used to uh, write about bioethics and biology issues, and this is very popular in the literature, at least through the 60s, where they just say, look, there's a global crisis. Now notice the language. There's a global crisis of the degradation of the gene pool. All the scientists agree on it. We have to take coercive action to stop it. So you have this idea of there's this, there's some issue like genetics is what matters, and then there's a crisis, and then the response needs to be coercion. And it's similar with racism. It's the, these Jews are inferior, and they're causing a crisis in Germany, and we need the state to respond. Though one thing that really bugs me about the public debate on this issue is the complete lack of self-awareness about the tendency of societies to become deluded and do unbelievably dangerous and, and ultimately disgusting things on the basis of, uh, quote-unquote, science. So science is an unbelievably important thing, but the way that science gets treated, science is an authority. We know that historically science is an authority and mass delusions often go together and lead to disastrous consequences. So if, if a person just says with a straight face, the scientists say X, therefore we should submit, that's a very, you should immediately be suspicious. And if you notice, just no one is saying, hey, all the scientists believe E equals MC squared, therefore you should do X. Because if it's proven, you don't need to say everyone agrees. All you need to do is give the proof. So that's another, that's another flag. So that, that idea makes sense, just this is a, a common phenomenon. So no matter what we have, to, everyone should be aware that this is a possibility when someone is introducing an issue. I don't know if this camera is capturing. I don't know if I'm moving out of it or not. Oh, no, don't worry, it's wide okay. angle. It's wide angle. Okay. Do you have any harder examples of hard science uh, where scientists themselves held to a theory? And I, I know you can go further back to Newton versus Einstein. And, um, well, you know. but we're going to talk about in the, the next section, so okay. keep that question in mind because uh, you might want to follow up. But we're going to talk about how this, how the mantle of science gets attached to something, and one aspect of it is going to be there's usually some scientific truth, which is then what I'm going to call package deal with a bunch of scientific falsehood, and people use the, the prestige of the truth to pass off everything else. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alex, I just want to mention to everyone, because some of you may, may be the first time, we always have ample time for Q&A afterwards. So obviously if Alex invites you to respond to a question or whatever, great. But I, mostly you should save your, your questions for our, we'll have a nice Q&A okay, afterwards. Okay, but I just want you to, like, sure. I appreciate that, but you can definitely pipe up. I'm just very good no, at I'm controlling wrong. audiences. <laughs> so if you get out of hand, I promise it's not going yeah. to last. <laughs> but I might have to prove Duncan's point. You, 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 we have had situations oh, where me. people couldn't get their point out because there were so many questions. Believe me, I, 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 I was in the room. At the, I read rooms. I, I, know, I know the pitfalls, and I'm going to stop them. I, I, think, I just want to point out, being a scientist myself and being trained in the scientific tradition that's what I've always said when I hear this global warming uh, hoax is they don't understand science right because science you just look at the evidence and make your conclusion this makes right. the conclusion 
and then looks at the evidence. Yeah, so I know this is something I want to go into later, because, but many of us, most of us are not going to be specialists on any given scientific topic. So the question of how we, how we don't, we can't be dismissive of scientists, but we need to know how to process it independently. And so with the two ideas of the package, GM and check premise, I think we'll, we'll get the idea of how to do this and how, how not to do it. So with the, the package deal, this kind of came up with the issue of, of what do the scientists exactly say. Here's a question. So the, the thing I get all the time is everyone says, first thing, like, they know that I like, you know, I, I love fossil fuels, by the way, my shirt. Um, you can get it at industrialprogress.com slash store if you want one. I didn't bring any. But, um, like, they'll say, wait, so do you believe in global warming? And now usually... It's just a really important thing, just as a method point. When someone asks you a question, the first question in your mind should be, is that a legitimate question? Especially yes or no. Because the one way of trapping people into bad ideas is to ask a bad question. And sometimes, I remember I was in Israel once, just talking about foreign policy to people, and they asked me a bad question. And I said, um, I said, I don't agree with that question. I'll explain, like, I don't have a yes or no view. And then they said, oh, you're just afraid to answer my question. You're, I said, like, I'm not afraid of you, but it's not. And I said, okay, well, you answer my question. Do you still beat your girlfriend? <laughs> but, do you think about it? So do Why you still do you still beat your girlfriend? So if he says yes, that means he still beats his girlfriend. If he says no, that means he used to beat his girlfriend, but he no longer does. So the issue is the the question questions are not these innocent things. Questions have assumptions and premises, which we're going to talk about, built into them. So if someone asks you a question, the first thing is. Is this really gonna? Is can I answer this in a way that really reflects reality? And if someone says, "Do you believe in global warming?" My first question is, "What on earth do you mean by global warming?" Yeah. So let's let's let's. Uh, I want to open this up. What are what are the different things? And what we find is people mean many many different things by this catch-all global warming. So what are? Can someone give me like one definition? It doesn't have to be yours that people would have of global warming. Yes. I don't know if this is directly, but I, I, I find that, that people are <clears throat> love to argue and therefore use the term global warming to engage, knowing, well, knowing or not thinking about the fact that global warming is, is could, could go under many different uh, ideas. So what's what's one what's one of the ideas? Global climate change. But what does that mean? Heating. Well, one is the idea of the greenhouse gases trapping in the heat. Okay, so let, let's 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 like just define this. So one is we call the base case is the idea that if we look at the globe around the globe. You know, there's not one temperature, but there's a bunch of different temperatures, and on average, over time, those temperatures are going to either be over a certain period of time, those temperatures will be trending upward, or they'll be trending down. It's very rare they're going to be trending exactly the same. Well, they have interestingly in the last ten years, but still. So the question is, are the global temperatures trending upward for, let's say, the last 150 years? So that's, that's one. Um, and this is one where almost everyone who studies the issue would say, yes, they have been trending upward. And even that's not an obvious thing to figure out. Like, how do, exactly do you measure the global temperature? <clears throat> are all your thermometers in the right place? What if they're near or really hot? It's not even an easy thing to know that, but I'm, that seems like a good conclusion studying the evidence. But even if someone says that, you shouldn't think it's obvious. Uh, I'll get to you in one second. So that's one, but then the, okay, so that's, that's one. But that doesn't say anything about whether man is involved, whether it's a problem, whether it's a big problem, whether you should solve it by getting rid of fossil fuels, by which you should, you should solve with nuclear. 
So it's important. So one is just this, but if that's one, but if it was just that, if it was just it's a little bit warmer than it used to be, that would be uninteresting. Yes. Carbon emissions. Right, and so this gets to uh, what you brought up with, with the greenhouse effect. So another level is that part of that warming, at least, so let's say it's one degree Celsius in the last um, 150 years, that part of that is due to um, an increase in the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, so it used to be 0.03% before the Industrial Revolution. Now it's all the way up to 0.04%. So it's gone up by 0.01%. No, but, and well, and... Well, and this is this is so. And if we study how does how does CO2 in an atmosphere affect, like if it gets hit by sunlight, that those particles get hit. They're called infrared absorbers, and they get a little. It gets a little warmer, and so there's a warming issue. So th this is another layer that part of the warming is due or likely due to man because of something called uh, the greenhouse effect. So that's like another thing that people might mean. So this you can call it like global warming, man-made global warming. Now, an interesting aspect of the greenhouse effect, which most people don't know, is that the is okay. You have then then the logical question is well, what kind of effect is the greenhouse effect? Is it dramatic to go from 0.03 to 0.04 percent? Is that a tipping point? Like 0.03 was this perfect mystical amount of CO2, and it's never changed. And if it changes a little bit, then we're dead. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd have to investigate that. The interesting thing, though, is that the thing that that scientists that physicists would agree about the greenhouse effect is that it's a logarithmic effect. So it, the more CO2 you add, the less impact the CO2 has. So the other way would be each unit of CO2 is kind of like you're pressing faster and faster and faster on the accelerator and it goes up and up and up. Whereas, in fact, the way it works normally is that the CO2, it's decelerating. So each, each unit of CO2 warms a little bit less. So like the next, like this 0.01, warmed it a lot less than the last 0.01, and the next 0.01 would be less and less and less and less. So if, if that's true, or if that's the way it works out in reality, then you know you wouldn't have an issue. It would just be mild warming, which people uh, generally want. Just, just, I want to just run through a couple more. Now another level, so that we've got just it's warming, and then some of the warming, like a mild amount of warming is due to man. And then we start to get into other things, which is, well, okay, the greenhouse effect is this kind of effect, but then there are other things in the atmosphere called feedback loops, and that actually makes it go get way, way warmer. So it's going to get way warmer because of things like how water vapor and CO2 interact. Well, but the point is these are very, very distinctive views, right? So one is warming, one is a little bit of warming, and then one is a lot of warming. And this one is, is based on, you're starting to get based on complex uh, computer models. And then the next thing after that is that not only is it warming a bunch, but warming is detrimental to human life, which by the way has been the opposite of everyone's view throughout history. Usually populations have been afraid of things like ice ages. The warmer it's gotten, the better. It's, I don't know of any historical era where anyone has complained about being too warm uh, on average. For various reasons, it's easier for human beings to deal as societies with um, uh, with it being too warm and being uh, too cold. So that's another layer of warming as a problem. And then another layer after that is it's a problem, and in part it's a problem because warming makes the climate go crazy. And you've probably heard the term climate change. Now, climate change is an asinine term because it's in, uh, change is implied in climate. Climate doesn't, there's no climate non-change. So it's one, of, it's one of these terms that's used just to make everyone agree with, hey, I believe in climate change, 
therefore no fossil fuels. It's like they're trying to put something over. But it's this view, what they call destabilizing. So it's so, something about warming makes there be like, you know, Hurricane Sandy. So if it's warm, we, what, what I'm trying to point out is that these are like six different <laughs> theories that are all being lumped. And then you go to, okay, if that's true, then man can't cope with it. And that's a huge thing because we'll talk about why, but that's a big claim that even if the climate was getting more desta less stable, that man couldn't cope with it because, for example, well, we know something about do you feel safer from the weather now or 300 years ago? Probably a lot more now because we have technology. So there's a question of what matters more for our safety from climate. Is it the climate or is it technology? And we're going to see the evidence 100%. Technology matters, like you could say, 50 times more than what the climate happens to be. And then beyond that, it's even if um, even if we couldn't cope with it through like heating and air conditioning, we we can't or shouldn't cope with it through what's called geoengineering. So what if it was just what if it was okay? If it's too warm, why don't we figure out a technological way to cool it? So this is like another tenth view is that we either can't or shouldn't do that. And then also it's okay, we sh we can't use the two best sources of power that don't use CO2, which are hydroelectric and nuclear, those are somehow wrong. That's another theory. And so we get all the way to like theory 11, which is it's warming so much and the climate is going completely out of control. And the only way to deal with it is by getting rid of all the best sources of energy and replacing them with the worst and hoping for the best. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> I just made it up. So. No, it's, it's, it's really this idea that it's, it's like this completely out of control thing that human technology, that the only thing human technology should do is we should get rid of all you know the best sources, so fossil fuels and nuclear hydro, and then we should use solar and wind, which are the worst. <laughs> for fairly obvious reasons are, are very inferior technologies. I think Mike mentioned sun and the wind don't come in in a reliable stream. So it's, you're, you're starting off with a huge problem. And then because they're very diluted, you also have a big problem of you have to build so much, like you just require these massive physical structures. Um, so if you think about something like, you know, like uh, 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 oil, like uh, something, like, I forget the exact amount, but a gallon of, just think about how, how powerful oil is. People complain, hey, you drive a Hummer. I don't, I don't drive a Hummer. But you know, if I did, like, it only gets 10 miles a gallon. My feeling is that, think about what that is. You've got a gallon of something that can move a Hummer, like a Hummer, <laughs> 10 miles at 60 miles an hour. Like how many of us would it take to do that? It's, it's unbelievably, <laughs> so much power is stored in there. Now, yeah. do you think that if you, sh if you shine some sun, on that amount of space, that Hummer is going anywhere? No, it is not at all. So what happens is you need so much space for the sun, but then you have to build out a whole bunch of what turns out to be very expensive things, a lot of expensive chemicals, and you have to build a lot of blame. Energy density. Yeah, so this is a concept yeah. called energy density. You can think of it just as the concentration of energy. And so though, in general, historically, as we've evolved, we find more and more concentrated sources of energy. So we used to use the wind and the sun until we learned better, and then we use fossil fuels. And nuclear is actually a million times more energy concentration than um, oil. So it's a little harder to use, but it's that's that's what the direction has always been. You go from dilute and unreliable to concentrated and and reliable. So what I just want to point out is that usually what the way this is working. So if we have like theory number one. 
theory number one, which is just overall there's some warming, uh, like that that's there is that's pretty straightforward. To theory number eleven, to its completely catastrophic, uh, unstoppable, and needs to be solved by getting rid of the best source of energy, as I said, and, and replacing it with the worst and hoping for the best. Those two things are both called global warming because the last thing I said is the consensus view in action. Like the consensus policy is we need to get rid of fossil fuels, we shouldn't really play with nuclear, we can keep shutting down hydroelectric dams, and we should somehow build out solar wind. So this is, this is a, the thinking is so bad, and this is what Ayn Rand called, uh, how many here have heard of Ayn Rand? Okay. Thank everybody. Okay, but she's got a good essay, the book, the book um, which book is it in? In capitalism, book Capitalism, there's an essay called Extremism or the Art of Smearing. She introduces a term called the intellectual package deal. And does anyone know like what a package deal is just in business? What? Sure. When Monopoly. You, you have, no, a package yeah. deal means you, you buy something you want, you have to take with it things you don't want. It's all part of the same deal. Exactly. It's what our Congress does regularly to pass horrible bills. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But someone mentioned in with like a, this is part of antitrust thinking, which we don't need to get into the details of that, but the idea that a company, if it has a dominant enough position, will saddle you with a bunch of junk because you want its core product. But but what you said is is perfect. It's that you're you know you're lumping together, you're creating a package of something you want and something you don't want, or at least some two things that are fun in, in thinking it's two things that are fundamentally different. So here, the package deal of global warming is on the one hand, it's warming, on the other hand, we need to get rid of fossil fuels as a result. And those two, one does not follow from the other even, even remotely. Um, and so what they're doing is they're putting forward this package deal and they're using, this gets to your point, they're using the prestige of the idea that it's warming and the idea that there is a, at least a mild greenhouse effect. They're using that, the prestige of that, to attack fossil fuels, which I, uh, I can argue has no scientific basis as, as an attack. But whether or not I'm right about that, the point is you have to recognize, it, are they using a package deal? And the easy way to ask it is, what do you mean? What exactly do you mean? And until someone gives you an exact definition of what they're saying, you don't move forward in the conversation. So it's just a rule of the question, you need a clear definition of all the terms. And then as a bonus one, I didn't mention this, but the other one I'll always ask is, what are you arguing? What is your conclusion? Because they're they're asking me questions, which is fine. My question, what is your conclusion? Because in an argument, if you think about just what an argument is, what a speech is, it's ultimately you're making a set of points to lead to a conclusion. So like, let's say you guys are debating over whether I should be the speaker or something like that. You know, Maybe you have an argument and Mike was in favor and someone else wasn't. What, what's going on there? Ultimately, Mike's in action, it's should Alex come here and talk? And someone else might say no. And you have to be clear in the discussion, what are we arguing about? So let's say it's, let's say someone thinks like, oh, I don't think he's good looking. Well, is that relevant <laughs> to this, right? You have to know the criteria, you know, criteria of relevance. And when we're in a, if so, if someone's asking me questions or engaged in discussion, the first thing I want to know is, what's your, if he's making an argument, what's your conclusion? And often they'll hide that and leave it to implication. Um, so they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, I believe in global warming, but the real conclusion is you shouldn't be able to use fossil fuels. It's not, there's no conclusion about do you, no one cares in a, I mean, it, you wouldn't just, it's not like Al Gore is out there to just make people believe in warming. 
He's there to do something politically. So it's important when we're in the discussion um, to know where it's going, to know where someone is, is trying to take us. So it's the idea of the, there's an unstated conclusion. We can add a, another concept. But like the unstated conclusion is a big fallacy in discussion. So they have an unstated conclusion and then the package deal, the putting together. So the global warming and the catastrophic global warming slash getting rid of fossil fuels. So Isn't there an issue also with, the, with saying believe in? Because science is not articles of faith. You have a theory supported by evidence, or you don't have a theory supported by evidence. <clears throat> Belief is yeah. not a fact. I think that's a perfect thing, and, and this is why often in a question there will be multiple points of contention. And you should feel absolutely free to contest every single word before you proceed. And people will find it very annoying. Um, and it's because they are used to thinking very sloppily and getting away with a bunch of nonsense on the grounds that, oh, well, everyone agrees with me. So you don't believe in global warming? And I say, well, what do you mean by global warming? It's, we all know what we mean by global warming. Well, if we all know. I don't. There's only one other person in the we, so you tell me. And they don't. Like a clear definition is that stops most bad thought processes. Because if you're really clear about what you mean, then it has to be, do you mean... Do you mean there's warming, or do you mean it's catastrophic, or do you mean it's catastrophic and getting rid of fossil fuels is the solution? And that there should be, and you get them to say, yes, I'm against nuclear, I'm against hydro, I don't think we can do any sort of, we, we're not smart enough to figure out how to cool it. The only thing we can do is get rid of the best sources of energy we have and hope for the best. Like, Okay, so now that's your conclusion. So once we have them define everything and state their conclusion, the argument's already won. Right? There's, I mean, it's a really hard case, but if, if they make the argument seem like, is there warming, but they're, and then if they win that, then you concede their conclusion of get rid of fossil fuels, that's the whole trick. That's why they're putting them together, because they want to win on the good half of the package to put over the bad half uh, of the package. So any, any questions about, I know it's kind of a technical idea, but any questions about just this idea of the package deal? Hey, how, how would you define the term the scientific method? Um, What's the question? How would you define the term the scientific method? I don't know. I wouldn't say that I have any particular qualification to define it with a lot of uh, precision. But I think the the relevant thing is that you know you are looking at the facts and only the facts and all the facts, you know, to get to your conclusion. There's a Part of what a scientist has to do is decide when are there sufficient facts to come to my conclusion. But in terms of what a, I think one of the relevant points is, what does a scientist owe someone he's trying to persuade who's a non-expert? And what he absolutely does not owe is just his conclusion. No human being has a right to tell you a conclusion without evidence. None. It doesn't matter what it is. He either sh I mean, he can tell you he believes it, but he can't tell you you should believe it. And it's not like, for instance, let, let's, let's, you, and you have to think when you're thinking if someone tells you a conclusion and he says, okay, I'm going to give you evidence, you can think to yourself, well, well, what would be good evidence? So, for example, for the idea that it's warming dramatically, well, one good piece of evidence would be if it was actually warming dramatically. Like if you could tell that. Okay, and then, and then if they say, okay, well, we've had a rough time lately, or rough, rough is in good. It's been good lately, and that's rough for our position. Like, but in the future, it's going to get, and then you would say, if it's a future, well, what's a good test of whether future predictions 
someone has a good <coughs> model for predicting the future. You know, if someone says, I have a great model for picking stocks, what would, how would you test that? Two things would be, one would be, how does it perform historically, and two, wait, now the second one is more foolproof in the sense of, there's a, a lot of trickery you can do with the first, and a lot, yeah. so for example, yeah. what you have to see is that they actually made the prediction in the past, not that they can morph their model now, and this is in, in the catastrophic global warming movement, there's a technique that they're very proud of, and it's called hind casting. Have you ever heard of forecasting? And forecasting means you look into the future. Hind casting, it doesn't mean you look back. It means you, it means like you figure out, you go back in time, and since your model was not any good, you change enough of the variables so that it would have been good had you had the new model. But if you ever do anything with math or modeling, we have very sophisticated computers. It's very easy to to make any Change. equation you want. Yeah. So this is nonsense. So what we have is, so you the uh, one question to ask is if someone says, well, I have a great model. Like say, okay, well, what's or I'm a great model. Or what's the history? And the history of these, just even look into it a little bit. It's really bad. I mean, it's it's worse than if just you had guessed. Because you probably guess, well, it's not going to change that dramatically, and it hasn't. Whereas you have dramatic guesses. So, for example, I, I show the graph on some of my, my talks, but the most famous climate modeler, James Hansen, he had a graph that he made in, I think it was 1990 or 1988 was when he really got into this. And he had a set of predictions, which was he predicted what happens if we don't emit any more, what happens if we emit all the way to what happens if we emit a massive amount, how warm is it going to get? And it turned out that we emitted more than the massive amount, and it was cooler than the no amount. So it's the exact opposite. But he's still very famous and prestigious and quoted all the time. That's a great you know, modeler and forecaster. So it's just, this is an easy, as just a common sense thing. This is what a, the question was just about scientific method. They have to give you your, they have to give you, you know, an explanation. And I think most people, they get intimidated by scientists because they feel like, well, I'm not a specialist. But you don't have to be a specialist to understand a basic chain uh, of reasoning. So if they said, look, I've got a model. I've nailed the predictions for the last 30 years, and I have a, a scary prediction now, you would listen to them. But if they just made up a model and it performed worse than like throwing darts at a board, it doesn't matter how many degrees he has. And this goes back to we already know that mass delusion is a normal human possibility. So the fact that whatever title they have, it's very possible they fit in there. Yes? Weren't there 31,000 um, scientists and uh, college professors that signed a petition or something saying it wasn't true? Okay, but so this is this is what I want to caution against, though, because what is it? What is it? Right. Global warming was not happening. No, 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 but that's not what the petition what was. But it's, see, this is where you have to be careful. You can't buy into the idea of global warming as this coherent idea. What they said is that there's, they believe that there's a mild greenhouse effect. So man has a minor and not particularly important contribution. And that whereas the contribution to human life of the fossil fuels that emit greenhouse gases is incredibly positive. So we shouldn't take government action. And I happen to agree with that. Um, but I don't think it's the most relevant the only thing that's important for it is just showing that there's this is not like E equals MC squared. But most of this gets thrown out if we just are clear about we don't let them just say global warming vaguely. 
you don't let them do the, the package deal. So I see, so to say something like global warming is a hoax, I don't say stuff like that uh, because it's it's too vague and it can it can mean there's no greenhouse effect, but there is. Yes. How do you wrestle with uh, facts? Because in a one-on-one -on -one argument, my best case is my brother-in-law asked that specific question, do you believe in global warming? Mm -hmm. I could go this direction that you're pointing me to, but then he would come up with facts as he interprets them, but what he's done is he's listened to people. He hasn't literally So what facts. would be an example? Oh, um, he's on the political left, so therefore all he listens to and is that, and he can't stand anything um, different. <coughs> uh -huh. So therefore he gets a rhetoric yeah. And is told that they're facts. Uh -huh. And that's what I'm constantly... Um, <clears throat> but like, against. what would be an example? Mm -hmm. um, well, frankly, it's my brother-in-law, so he couldn't go very far with it. So it was like, well, it is happening, he says. But, but see, that's even... It's, so, not the, it's not the factual... Usually it's not the specific factual point. It's, it's an incoherent discussion. Often you're talking across one another. It is happening. What? what? On average, the temperature is going up? Great. Yeah, and I don't get even that far. But I'm curious to how he gets that position um, when scientific facts are one thing and then the, the, the facts as uh, conveyed by... But it's a half-truth is the way, the way a package deal works is if it's half-true, half-false, you're always discussing half-truth. So what you don't want to do is... Like, I hear the other side, oh, the science has been refuted and this... You have to just be very clear about what you're asserting. So, for example, and, and what I'm talking about here, I'm this, you know, you're my audience right here. So if I was talking to that group, I would approach it differently. Like, I'm trying to just kind of step back and say, how do we think about these kinds of questions? doesn't mean you need to be Socrates for 45 minutes when you talk to them. But you have to know when they're trying to put something over you. So that's, I'm trying to give you the mindset. I mean, if they, someone asks me, I would just say, okay, well, so my... My basic issue here is my goal is to have, a, you know, for the planet to be the best possible place to live for human beings. Is that your goal, too? Right, so stay with the goal. Okay, so I want to reach the, so, okay, so, um, so will you, can, I mean, so this is a pretty straightforward fact throughout history. The last 300 years, life expectancy has gone from 30 to 80, and it's generally understood that the reason for this is that we can produce much more energy, which means that we can get machines to do all the work for us, instead of having to do manual labor, and that makes possible technology. So do we agree on that, right? So we, this, so this is more of a positive thing. Okay, so you agree that the contribution of this. Now, and I'll say, well, are you familiar with the history? Um, like, do you know of what, like, um, okay, so you acknowledge this, and why do you think we continue to use these fuels? Like, why do we use these? Why don't we use sun and wind very much? And then if they say it's conspiracy, okay, so are you familiar with just how these technologies work. What the, okay, so the reason we don't use these is because they're diluted, uh, diluted, unreliable fuels. So they're not renewables; they're unreliable. So we agree on that. Right? Okay, so we're we're straightforward there. So now the concern is that the the best form of energy that expanded <coughs> our life from 30 to 80. There's a concern that it also, but it has this side effect of making our climate more dangerous. Right? That's okay. So let's explore. So how would we determine whether it's making our climate uh, more dangerous. So I, I think the easiest thing would be to just inventory do how many people have are dying from the climate. Like, is it increasing? Mm -hmm. or is it, and I said, are you familiar with this? This is a pretty standard data set. Are you familiar with this? Now, I can get away with this because I don't mean to be condescending, but I'm not going to pretend he knows 
what I know. Um, and and then I would say, okay, but like, so if we look at the 80 years that we've been using a lot of fossil fuels, it's been really going up. How much more dangerous do you think climate's gone up? Probably like 10 times. Okay, so it's actually gotten 50 times safer. So if we look at the number of people who have died from climate, it's gone down by a factor of 50, 98 percent. And then I just kind of sit there. So, so what? It becomes emotional, is what it does. But okay, but. But I can be emotional too. Like you want to kill all those people? No, frequently if it's someone I care about, and I care about a lot of people who are different thinking. Uh -huh. I don't go there. I, I, I care I, less. I choose to. <laughs> well, I choose not. I choose to. But that's. I'm not. I'm not. Here, here. So my main thing is here is how we think about it. I'm not saying you should all do this, and you have to. This is my job. So I don't have it. There you go. I need to choose. If I don't want to do it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be my job. But that's good. Um, I appreciate. So it's sort of like the flip side. But if you notice that the way that I I framed it was, I'm being very clear at every stage about what I'm saying. Like this is my goal. Okay. So do like are we clear on this? Are we clear on this? Are we clear on this? And the conclusion is, my, well, my book title is Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. So. And then they say, well, there's a prediction it's going to get worse. And then I go into the whole models thing. Okay, so how would we... Okay, so you admit that it's made the plant much better to date, and but your claim is that it's going to make it much worse, despite technology, human... Okay, so let's... Or do you think at least the warming is going to be... Okay, so let's look at what's the evidence for that. And if he says, like, scientists, scientists have proven it, and okay, so what Which if they... scientists? Well, I would just say, Eric Dennis, who works with me, is a physicist, uh, he wants... We were... We do debates for we debate each other for fun just to test uh, ourselves. And he'll he'll uh, and I once pulled this on him like oh and and he said he didn't say which scientists so what did they prove like how did they prove it and I realized that none of these people have any idea what that would look like so I said well for me if someone says has a dramatic future prediction then I just go into the point about the models like if they have a like if they have a climate prediction model my first question is can it predict climate if the answer is no I'm not gonna throw away all this good stuff and, and then sometimes what I find is just as kind of this is a sad point but when I point to them that actually fossil fuels make the climate much safer because the greenhouse effect is fairly minor and warming isn't bad anyway um, but that what really matters is having a lot of energy and a lot of technology like they're always angry and I say well okay but yeah. if I'm right shouldn't you be happy <laughs> like, you thought that the apocalypse was coming, but that is part of the psychology, is that they're so, identity is so wound up in capitalism destroying the and world. And that's what I feel like I'm yeah. fighting, yeah, that's what I feel But like then you can, if you, if you know how to do it sequentially, then you can at least bring that out, versus saying, versus just asserting it. Because once they get, once, they, once it's very clear that capitalism is, is making the world a much better place to live, and they're still seething, Kind of like okay. Well, the more I care about somebody, the earlier I say we agree to disagree. <laughs> no, I, I don't say we agree to disagree. I know you don't. That's your job. Well, isn't a lot of this where it's not even about the science at all? There are people who want us to return to a subsistence, agriculture-based yeah, economy, live in a commune or whatever, so that, and they will bend and twist and cherry pick anything. So that's their goal. It has nothing to do with science. So this, 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 this. So this is a great segue to the idea of the the unchecked. Uh, the unchecked premise. So what you're pointing out is that there's a certain philosophy or ideology that's animating this that's not always explicitly said, but that is is behind the scenes. 
Now, what's going to turn out is that the people who really hold that and believe that use these bad techniques to manipulate everyone else into thinking this. So they use the package deal. They don't state their conclusion, because if they did state their real conclusion, which is that we need to dramatically reduce human population because humans are the scourge of the planet and unnatural, then it would not be a very easy sell. So instead, they do. Yes? How do they account for the fact that there was an ice age, you know, I go to Yosemite and there was a glacier there and it's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that the earth was, that was before people. Close. No, it is not exactly yeah, yeah. The climate changes right. earth. So, How do they account for that? So just, I th I'm going to cover that in a second, but if I forget, just raise it again. Just raise that again, because I, I want to, this is going to, the next discussion both of you bring up really good points. Duncan? The, uh, you were talking earlier about a delusion versus hoax and you felt delusion was a, a the better term for this phenomenon, yeah. but is it an either-or situation? Um, the vast majority of people, I would put out, probably do fall into the category of being deluded about this, but the global warming industry, as I would call them, Sorry. have a vested interest, and this is what they do, this is their living. Yeah. If this concept is shot down, they're out of work. Oh, yeah. and, and there's been so many exposures recently, uh, and that was one of the themes of why we call the, the meeting a collapse of the global warming hoax, there's been so many exposures of emails that were hidden. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I'm going to cover that in the next but section. But wouldn't that fall into hoax? Uh, Maybe hoax is yeah, the yeah. cause and delusion is the result. No, see, yeah. that's the issue. It's more the other way around. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to put all these together, and then it will be great to, to talk about more elements. Because I think what the dynamic you're talking about exists for sure, but there's a question of the weight, of, of what, like, what comes first and what is the biggest... Driver. And if we think there's an equivalent with Nazi Germany, where generally the belief is that, well, the reason this happened is because Hitler is such a clever guy. Um, but there's a different viewpoint that the people themselves have over time accepted certain ideas that made them predisposed uh, to a Hitler. So if there's Hitler in the founding of America, he's going to be hanged or, right, he's not getting, there's no chance he's making it to the top in colonial America. Whereas, so the idea is that the culture and the ideas of it set the stage. But then once you are in that kind of framework, for sure, any any framework is going to have people wanting power. And the more that the more that the culture is, is open to that, and the more that just politically the instruments exist, the more you have a coercive apparatus in the state, the more people will rise. So we'll talk about how this works in, in global warming. Um, so, but I want to just... So, so there's this idea you mentioned of the, there's this underlying philosophy, you know, agrarian, and probably, they're not even in favor of farming, ultimately. No. Hunter-gatherer, really, Scratch just, the dirt. it's really just yeah. hunting That's and right. failing is the ultimate <laughs> idea. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I think one way to get at this, because it's a hard thing for people to see, like, there's so many scientists, does Al Gore really want to bring us back? And then you go to San, San Francisco, everyone's, Seems like they're so pro-technology and this and that, and, and there's a package deal there. But let's let's just think about one issue, which I think shows that not only that they believe this, but that we can easily believe this. That we might have in us some element of this philosophy, even though we don't we don't think that we do. So just think about when someone says, like, "Do you believe man-made global warming?" Now. The assumption of that question is that it's bad, that it would be bad if man warmed the globe. Mm. But at least 50-50, if you don't have a prejudice against man, 
you would assume there's 50-50. If you don't know anything about warming or cooling, you might assume it's a good thing. And people used to assume it was a good thing. They used to hope we melted the whole Arctic because then we could sail around a lot more, or be better weather, or, you know, be more places it would be nice like this. No, this was a real hope of humanity that the Arctic would be melted. There's no idea that this one species, the polar bear, is somehow our favorite species, and thus <laughs> everything in the world revolves around its happens. current preservation. Yeah, but the idea is they would have liked <clears throat> them to be endangered. Um, but it's an interesting thing that we assume that if we're changing the climate, it must be bad. So what? It, so there's a premise there. What's the premise there? What's what's the if, if you had to go a level deeper? If they're assuming that us changing the climate is bad, is there any way of stating a broader principle that that implies? What's the unchecked prem? What's the premise man behind that? Okay, man is bad. So that's you could say that's like the deepest maybe. But what's one that's in between? So man changing climate is bad. Man is bad. Like is the there something? Arise. Okay, but that's, that's that would be well, but that's uncontrolled behavior. Man's alteration of the, the uh, environment. Natural environment. So, but but um, we left the Garden of Eden and did no longer live in harmony with all living creatures. Yeah. Kumbaya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but in the, in the back, you brought up the idea of the oceans, or so the oceans. But that's a much more. That's not necessarily. Um, I mean, that's just a particular theory, but that's not in a, that doesn't assume that man is bad necessarily. That just means that him doing this happens to have this negative consequence. So right now I'm not saying it does or it doesn't have that. I'm saying the assumption people have without knowing anything is that it's bad. And the easiest proof of this is that historically when global cooling, when it was viewed that what we were doing was causing global cooling, how many people said, oh, great, we're cooling the climate. Congratulations. No one. And then we're warming it, it's bad. So what's the, con no matter if man changes nature in one way, it's bad. If he changes it in another way, it's bad. Change bad. There you go. But it's this idea of, of change. So it's that man changing nature is somehow bad. So, and that leads to what you said, because what is man, what is man's means of survival? First of all, what is every organism's means of survival? Leaving the rest of nature alone? No, it's a competitive system. You need the nature. It's emotion. So anytime you're moving, you're moving something else. You're consuming things from the rest of nature. So man is, man survives by changing the world around him to meet his needs, like every other animal. There's just one big difference between man, which you can look at a number of levels. But I look at it. He is much, much better at it. He's much better at changing the world around him to meet his needs, right? I mean, he can do everything from you know, he knows how to build a If it's raining, he knows how to build a house, whereas an animal has to go uh, scurrying, right? He knows how to build a hospital. He knows how to create this amazing environment. And it's interesting, though, that it's viewed as... And if you notice, we start to see that, yeah, the environmentalists don't seem to like these things very much. Like, a new development, development is viewed as a bad word. Like, they say, oh, there's a new housing development. There's a new... But wait, why is that? Why is that bad? Like, if a beaver builds a structure, is that bad? No, it's fine. It's a beaver. But if man, if a beaver does a little or an ant colony, that little development, that's all fine and good. But if man does it, it's bad. So what we can see is that there's this deep prejudice, this idea that it's somehow wrong for man to change nature. And I've started calling this human racism. 
So it's the idea <laughs> that the human race, no, it's a discrimination because human beings get discriminated against. Every other animal is considered natural and therefore good. But human beings are considered natural. And the way that I think about it is that, uh, like imagine you know, someone from another planet was looking at our planet and they look at what we do and what the animals would do. They wouldn't say, oh, you see those really, those human beings, they're unnatural and everyone else is. No, they'd say, like, they build the best nests. Like, these are the best, right? They're the, they're the, what they used to call the crown of creation. There was this, we used to view it with esteem that we were so good at changing the world around us to meet our needs. And now the dominant philosophy is that's something bad. So just, just from this idea of, of this assumption that it's wrong for us to impact the climate that shows this human racism. And what I notice is even with conservatives, they get on the defensive when they hear, that, oh man, is impacted. Whereas my response is, like, okay, so is it good or bad? Like, is it? And then the the you know the liberal, well, of course it's well, why are we safer? Are we more dangerous? Um, I mean, you're changing the climate when you have an air conditioner in your house. Is that bad? Like, there's just this view. So it's it's really this this deep. I mean, what you said ultimately is that man, if man changing nature is bad, then man by his nature is bad. Because his nature is to change nature using his mind, which allows him, you know, an enormous power that, that no one else, that no one else has. So this is this is this idea of the unchecked premise. They're inserting this poisonous idea in the discussion that it's wrong for us to change things that we should be suspicious, and that, that poison premise, because we're not checking it, infects the whole discussion. Whereas if we re if we just ask, if if we say, look, from what I was saying earlier. All that I care about is what benefits human life. So if you say we're impacting the climate somehow, okay, great. Is it a problem or are we making it better? Can we make it better? Like, are we making it worse? It's just a very, but I, that's a question asked without a prejudice against human beings. But there's this very deep-seated prejudice against human beings. And then this this goes to um, what both of you raised, and I'm going to uh, hear what Nugget raised. That premise is part of, if you take that premise logically, what it means is, well, <coughs> Modern civilization is fundamentally corrupt because we're developing, we're changing the world around us way too much. Um, there's a whole philosophy there, but part of it is what you mentioned with the agrarian thing, and we're doing too much. And, and if we look at just the world around us, you mentioned the hybrids and the green stuff. It's The most important thing about that is the premise behind it, which is that it's somehow wrong to use like water in a hotel. It's somehow wrong to not be willing to get your towel as dirty as possible. In the but what they're doing is they're using this premise to make you guilty. And that's what a lot of premises do, because if they can get you to make guilty, then you'll comply. Um, you know, guilt is a very powerful one. So we, people often say, oh, why are you complaining? I, I wrote even something on Facebook about this, and even people who support it, oh, why are you complaining about the hotel? Do you really need it? It's not, like, the point is, none of your business how many towels I want to use. Like if you're a cleaning service, that's I'm paying you. So you do, you do, but you can't guilt me and say I shouldn't be able to use uh, a towel. Um, but the, the whole, a lot of the way this kind of thing works is people do it with something very minor. Like they say, oh, just drive a Prius. And you know, most wealthy people in LA can afford a Prius or pay a little bit more. But that's not the point. The point is to get the premise and the premise is poisonous because it's that there's something wrong with you changing nature. So if, if there's a car that changes nature less, uh, great. But Whereas, it changes more. What's actually, that? It actually changes more. 
Yeah, right. But that's that's. But then, see, this is often what what I hear on the other side, which is dangerous. Kind of like with the windmills. People will say, well, windmills like despoil the landscape. Well, but if they were really superior technology, buy the landscape and and go for it. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, you should have private property. It kills the birds. Sure okay, well, but if it saves the humans and kills the birds, it's fine by me. Um, I, uh, I kill birds when I eat chicken. So there's this, uh, cats kill birds. If you get a cat, it's going to kill birds. So you have to be wary of... See, but that the idea, this obsession, this obsessive counter of windmills where we focus on the birds, it, I think is wrong. Because it's implying that there's something wrong with... Inherently wrong with killing birds. There's something wrong with unnecessarily killing anything. But if it's necessary for life, if that was the best source of power by a factor of 10, it's like, okay, too bad, birds. <laughs> no, I mean, because that's what you say, like, when you eat, that's imp you have to decide whether you want to live. Yes? Could you go over a little bit more about the premises for your conclusion that fossil fuels are good? Because I feel like a lot of times when I hear an argument, it's that fossil fuels are a good thing because I can show you that you can't prove that they're a bad thing. So I feel like that's something that comes up a lot in the debate. But, but, okay, hold on. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, I just want to make sure that that I wrap this part up. Okay. So we have... You prove they're bad. Okay, so yeah, just to, so to kind of review so far, we've got this phenomenon of... Okay, so there are like these mass... Mass delusions are a real problem. One of the techniques that the people putting them over use is the package deal, where they package something true, something false, and they intimidate you into believing the false thing. And then what's, yeah, this is what I want to get to. And like what underlies it though, if we look at the unchecked premise, what underlies it is really what's driving them is a certain philosophy. So they have a, it's not just that they randomly decided, let's focus on global warming. It, they've got this deeper philosophy, it's wrong for man to change nature. And one aspect of that is, if he does change nature, he's inevitably going to, he, he's too stupid to know how to do it correctly, so it's going to be, it's like the equivalent of hell. Like global warming is just, you know, sort of the environmentalist equivalent of hell. So he's going to bring on this thing because he's, you know, he's, he's sinning. And this is, this is a very common historical narrative, and it's like a primitive religious narrative. But this is the, the ultimate thing. So like the first level is just make them make a clear argument and see if it's true. But then the second level, if we want to go deeper, is what is the real philosophy they're trying to put over that, that, that's motivating them? And that then gets to what Deacon raised, uh, which is sort of how the the relationship between like between like the, the big time manipulators who are actually trying to get money and power out of this stuff, but then the whole culture that is manipulated. And my view is that it's definitely a combination of the two, but that the manipulators depend on the culture having been saturated with the wrong philosophy in the first place. So environmentalism would not have gone over anywhere 200 years ago, because it would be too obviously a wrong view, that, that it's wrong to change nature. It's like, you need a house on the frontier, and Al Gore says, no, just stay home and die. Right? It's too obvious. But once you already have developed it so much, they can say, oh, don't develop it a little less. You don't see that, well, maybe if you develop a little more, you'd have a cure for cancer. So you don't, you cannot see the invisible stuff and you have some comfort, um, but it's still the same poisonous uh, premise. Yes. Thank you. In reference to this segment you just did and your brilliant comment about human racism, uh -huh. I just want to raise that part of this package deal mm -hmm. is 
the, no, the notion of the far left that goes into the animal rights thing. Yeah, so it's the very, it's the exact, and, and there, you see the, the human racism there, right? Because, like, if a lion kills a cheetah, that's great, and if we kill a cheetah, it's bad. Um, now, it's for sure that you don't just randomly go killing cheetahs. That's one of mm -hmm. the advantages of being human is, is you don't... And, and the lion isn't going to randomly do it. So it's true that, that a human being can immorally uh, kill an animal. I mean, he can do something senseless. I mean, people like, will abuse dogs for no reason. No, that, that, but the point is, the point is, they want to have it both ways because on one hand, they keep pushing the whole nature thing, and on the other hand, they refuse to accept the human, the food chain. They refuse to to accept nature as it's been for thousands of years. Right. Man needs to but and then, then this 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 um this comes back to your your point about glacier about just the history, and then I'm going to get to the, the more positive about fossil fuels. Um, there's this very part of what makes this this narrative plausible is what I call like the Disney view of nature. So that we're all just animals, you know, everyone else is in harmony, and that they'll, there's this official view called, like, it's a delicate balance, and everything's in harmony, except for man, who is unnatural. And one thing that, if you're talking about climate, that you really have to evade is how dramatically the climate changes absent man, right? I mean, think about what it means to have an ice age. I mean, it means if you're in Canada, so you're talking like a thousand or more feet of ice over... Where are I going now? Now imagine you've got like Al Gore, Bill McKibben there at the time, and saying, "Oh my God, the, the glacier melted like <coughs> two feet last year. That's horrible. The, we wouldn't be able to live." So there's this view that whatever, whatever, whatever has been not affected by, like whatever the state now is perfect. Why is it perfect? Because man hasn't impacted it. But if man, if the part of nature that is man impacts it, then it must be bad. So it's the same idea with glaciers. It's like Oh my gosh, a glacier is melting. Okay, is that bad? Is that I don't know. I mean, glaciers been melting for a long time because they're coming out of an ice age. But there's just this assumption that if man is having an impact, it's no good. Whereas a volcano erupts, no, he's oh god, nature, such a jerk. Even though it's much more damaging, it actually incidentally puts much more mercury into everything, into fish than a coal plant, than all the coal plants in the world. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. So well, up, up until the 20th century, whether or not a person was personally religious, mm -hmm. the underpinnings of most religions in the world are that man is a special relationship with the Creator and some element of dominion over nature as endowed by the Creator. Right. And everybody voted forward on that assumption, regardless of their specific beliefs. We can't have that. Now. But you hit the 20th century, we've we've upended it as we've become more secularist and even atheist. Now they're looking at it this like we have no special thing. relationship. We're not special. Right. We're an animal. Mm -hmm. We're destructive. Right. Therefore, we're bad. But no, but, but it's it's well. That, so that's mixing together a bunch of different things. Because I'm not religious at all. Right. And it's actually this comes up. Um, let's see how to put this. I the. I mean, I think that in terms of. Um, that what you said as a religious view is much better, much more accurate, much more scientific view than the environmentalist view. The environmentalist view is completely unscientific. It doesn't make any sense to say, I'm a human being, like I'm a human being, and therefore I'm going to take every action necessary to undercut my survival. Like there's nothing inherent in being an atheist that makes you believe that. But it's become that. No, no, but but there's this idea because but it's. 
because there are, can be very, I mean, there can be better and worse religious ideas. There's certainly better and worse uh, non-religious ideas. I mean, there are very, I mean, Ayn Rand's an atheist advocate of laissez-faire capitalism. You have athe atheist advocates uh, of communism. You also have religious advocates of communism. You have religious aspects of, of laissez-faire capitalism or, or something like that. So, but what is important is that it's the view in general has become much worse. And that's a big part of our mission at Center for Industrial Progress is to really get people to embrace you know, human nature and to be to be proud of being human beings and to really value human life, which means to value uh, our nature. And there's a lot of, you could say, a lot, there's interesting parallels between religion and this, because for instance, you've got the, you've got the original, like the environmentalist view has an element of original sin, so there's a parallel. So, um, we have left Eden. And yeah, so and, and that's you've got like what would Jesus drive now? So um, no, no, that's a, there's a movement, but 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 so we, we can talk about this a, li a little bit more. But I think the important point for now is that there's this philosophy that there's something fundamentally wrong with man's nature, and that he Rather should Calvinist. repent. It's a theology. Um, I want to get I want to get to I want to get to your, your so I mean before I just want to see what like what you thought was inadequate because I mean before I sort of outlined what I think is the basic case. I didn't talk too much about falsehoods, but the idea was that having the best form of energy or having a radically superior form of energy to then power every industry and to power a civilization um, was an incredibly transformative thing, and that having the best form of energy in terms of most efficient, cheapest, plentiful, reliable is like a complete life and death imperative that anytime you talk about compromising, you would have to have a hell of a reason. Both here and in the part of the world doesn't have any. You know, two billion people don't have electricity. That means your life expectancy is 48, and that's only because of technologies developed in the Western world. You know, otherwise it'd be lower. So what you mentioned with fossil fuels, can you summarize what you think the argument that people make sometimes is? Well, I just think it's a general issue with a debate for, for or against global warming. Is it often turns, from what I've seen, instead of an argument for something, you take the flaws of the other side's argument and yes. use that as proof that your argument is inherently correct because they are wrong. So right. That zero sum aspect of that, that I am right because you are wrong, right. is kind of the so, part where I get confused. Like, I understand you say fossil fuel is the best form of energy. I, I agree with that, whatever. It doesn't matter if I do or don't. But, right. but taking that and saying that that's the reason why we should keep using it, I, underst I understand that argument there. Because just saying that it's the best now isn't saying that it's the best in the future. It's kind of like what you're saying is wrong about the environmental left, saying that global oh, warming is bad. Let me let me separate that out because I, I think both of those are important, but I actually think those are it's kind of a package deal. But okay. both sides that are worth addressing. So the first point I think is really important, which is that like refuting someone's position, particular particular person you're talking to, does not make your position true because right. there are infinity ways. Of being wrong, and in, in debate, modern debate, um, there's way too much focus on refuting the other side. So the beginning, what I'm talking about is not refuting them; it's getting clear on the argument. So the stage is you want to get clear on the argument, and then you get clear on your position. So I want to get clear on what's in their head, but then I want to make my positive case about what's going to be uh, the best. So that's that's one aspect. Um, now I ran through it quickly just because I wanted to give a schematic point. So in my my book, which you can is on Amazon, but you can also just get it at our website for free ebook, Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet, it's, it's much more depth. But 
with this particular issue, when I say when I say best, what it really means is that this is the form of energy that people have been and are to this moment choosing as the best form of energy to improve their lives. So if we look at, say, the developing world, um, China and India last 30 years, you have a life expectancy increase, I think, in China of six years, India of nine years. So that's, think about, think about I like to ask people, you know, think about one person that you loved that died and what six more years mean, and then multiply that by 2.5 billion. And this is overwhelmingly something that comes from uh, that, that's made possible by industrial revolutions in these these countries, and every single country that's having an industrial revolution is using coal. So the, it's not accidental. Like, it's not just they randomly didn't know about solar panels. They knew about solar panels. They knew that if they had solar panels, they'd be living the exact same amount of time they used to be. Um, but ultimately, the policy is what I call progressive energy. You just want the best. There's nothing inherently like. You know, I, I love fossil fuels, but it's just, it really is, I love people being able to use the best form of energy, but because they're under particular attack and because they're the leader, it would be kind of like when Microsoft was getting prosecuted saying, like, I love Microsoft, but it's really, I love the freedom, even if I like Apple better, which I do, I would want to defend the freedom of the, uh, of the people. So that's, uh, I didn't make that clear by what I said before, but that's the position. Let me just see. Uh, so in terms of, yeah, I, mean, I figured we were, we were just talking about this. I just want to, like, I wanted to get across the idea of, you know, the delusions are possible, the idea of the package deal, the idea of the unchecked premise. I added in the bonus idea of the unnamed conclusion. And then sort of beyond that, part of the, the underlying thing is that there's, there's underlying all of these, you can call them tactics, like all these tactics you have to be on the lookout for is there's always some sort of ideology. And so a big part of what I like about being in philosophy is really trying to understand what do they believe about the world? What are they trying to do in the world? Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Otherwise it just seems random that a bunch of jerks picked out a bad view. Now then you could ask, how does the philosophy get spread? And then that's another layer behind that. But um, it's really important to know that, so part of the reason I don't like hoax is that there's a hoax element, but I think it's a small part. And the real part is the dissemination of bad ideas. And one, one point that, that you mentioned was just that, per, particularly in this case, the idea about the value, nature and value of human beings. <coughs> and it's, it's that view which has, for sure, for various reasons, diminished, that has made all of this possible. And 200 years ago, this would just be, not just because it would be obviously wrong, because it would be so punishing, but because people had such a higher view of what it meant to be a human being. And we're like Center for Industrial Progress, so we're endorsing you know, the improvement of the, the world through industry, but ultimately I think of our mission as, as really changing, as really making people love <coughs> human beings again. And I don't mean like we give all our money to Africa or what it supposedly means to be like a human. I don't like humanitarian, I don't like those terms. I mean that like as a human being, you say I'm really happy that I got to be a human being and I'm. I'm proud, not that you did anything to do it, but like, I am not guilty about this, and I want to make the most of it. And I want to be in a world where other people are constantly trying to change the world to meet their needs, and I'm not guilty about it. So in my future reality, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but one of my goals is that at some point when someone says, like, I'm green, which means I'm good because I, I have less impact on the world, people will be horrified. 
SVMU is an immoral, an immoral idea. It'd be like saying I'm poor and bragging about it. Like, I mean, there might be reasons why you need to be poor. I've been poor before, but to brag about that. The Occupy movement doing that a little bit. Well, I have a very low opinion of them. Um, yeah, so that's that, that's what I want to go. So let's just let's just take questions for a while. You know. Uh, the only way I see us changing this is to get into the schools where we're not allowed, so we can undo two or three generations of brainwashing by the uh, enablers, the government enablers, who chose the wrong path, who chose this path for whatever reason. Well, the UN banked ICC. This is, this is um, I, I should have brought more materials, but um, who's? I know we have a bunch of officials from the group, so. Hopefully you guys can at least put everyone in touch with our, our mailing list because um, You should be in schools. Well, I am in schools. But, but do you see any chance of us getting at least a, a, some semblance of a, of a discussion, an honorable discussion? Well, I, I, I speak in at a lot of seventh grade, for instance. Well, we're even working on that. I have my book is being distributed in high schools some places. Um, Public high schools? Yeah. Government schools? Government schools. Okay. Um, so I should just tell you a bit about, I, I want to tell you guys a bit about what we do, and by the way, we do not raise money, so this is not a fundraising pitch, but I think you'll just find it interesting. Where is your mailing list? Where, What's that? You said we should be in touch with yeah, your mailing list. Yeah, I mean, if... Where you, is it? It's online? Yeah, or you can email me. I just don't want to put anyone on it who doesn't want to be on it. So, but you can uh, ask yeah. them. Go to the website. Just email me, and just get, if, if you can just ask anyone if they, I mean, not, not now, but like, it's on our website. But I, it's usually, no, I mean, you can go to industrialprogress.com. It's right there. Perfect. Um, you can email me at alex.com. And, and we'll send out a big email yeah, as well. Yeah, send out an email. Yeah, yeah I don't want to do the logistics now. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll just be, at the risk of bragging, I just want to tell you a little bit about what we've done. Um, because, and again, I'm not raising money, so. It's, uh, it's easy. So yeah, industrial, Center for Industrial Progress is, I think, maybe the only for-profit uh, think tank in the United States. And so one, um, I guess when I left the Iron Institute a couple years ago, one of my goals was that I had this belief that if we could get persuasive enough, like if I could become persuasive enough, then there would be a commercial market. So if you look at like the most successful public intellectuals like Malcolm Gladwell and Paul Krugman, mostly bad guys, but whatever, um, <laughs> they can make real money. You know, these guys make hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. a year, and they're experts at communicating. And or you know, someone like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, he's not a, a full intellectual, but he, he's spreading ideas and he's compelling. So I like the I, I just like the idea of profit, where instead of asking someone for money and saying I'm going to try to do a good job. And, give me some money, like, no, persuade the people that you have something to say that's so interesting that they should, you know, read it all the time so you get ad revenue or pay you to speak or this kind of thing. Um, and I think as a result, I, I myself got a lot better and the people I worked with got a lot better. And I spoke at a lot of universities. That's where I used to speak uh, the most. And then really last year, once once I thought that, okay, I've got some new ways of persuading people that are that are better than anything I know, uh, we started working with businesses because businesses are a big opportunity because businesses have, if we talk about cons uh, about un unchecked premises, businesses generally allow every bad, they accept every bad idea and then they repeat it. 
It's like sustainability, <laughs> right? Everyone's so what is the unchecked premise behind sustainability? That cap, that there's something called unsustainability, and that is capitalism. So the whole idea, if you talk about sustainability, as against what? It really means as against capitalism, which they say is unsustainable, which is a Marxist, uh, you know, Marxist premise. So as a result, these companies are not generally very good, uh, or they make many, many mistakes, and thus very few people become passionate about the oil industry from the oil industry's marketing. But I noticed that just by sharing with people what made me passionate about the oil industry and knowing how to do it, knowing how to talk with them, I could do it very well, better than most companies. So we started selling services uh, to companies, and now... You know, we, I mean, both, it's, it's a good revenue stream, but the other thing is that this is, this is then making possible a very powerful network of allies in spreading the right ideas. And these companies are now starting to help spread the book and promote it to schools. And so I think of the business world as a world that has not done very much positively on the side of capitalism. Now, they've benefited from it, and they've benefited us by being productive, but they, in terms of what they've said, it's been really bad. So it's just really exciting that for us to get paid by businesses to tell them to say what's the right thing, that's a huge potential megaphone for free market ideas. Because So in, the idea is in a couple of years you'll see, you know, instead of BP, they used to say beyond petroleum. Like the idea is that, no, people will have, like, I love oil. That's there. <laughs> At the very least, we're an oil company, deal with it. <laughs> Going back to when you were saying you, you usually speak in front of uh, students, colleges, yes. I presume. Yeah. Now you're a good looking, young, hip nerd, right? <laughs> Am I right? Nerd? Can, can someone write that down? Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, we'll see. So when you address a group of young people who already have been indoctrinated <coughs> one way or the other, how are you received? Fine, I guess. It, it, it's just don't play your tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like there's so many different people. It's it's that. I mean, my, I think, you know, I get better every time. I mean, there, I think of it from two perspectives. I think of it of how well can I do it compared to what I used to be able to a lot better. How well can I do it compared to other people I know usually a lot better, but. I think there's a lot more to learn, so I don't tend to think of it. As, I'm usually thinking about what to is it re, Is it rewarding? Do you do you walk away with saying, "Ooh, hundred guys in or kids in that room"? I got I think I got six. I mean, do, is there a satisfaction in it? For me, the biggest satisfaction is in getting the one or two who are going to be champions. That's for me is the biggest because what you one aspect of this and is that you have to. With every medium has its benefits and its limitations. And one thing that's important, so that's why I want everyone who's interested to sign up for the mailing list, people think, oh, it's, you, know, you don't want to be on a million mailing lists. I understand. But I can, when I get students on the mailing list, so my two favorite things are I meet a new potential champion and I get their email. Honestly, I don't, they could, because if they are on my email list, every month they're going to be hearing from me on energy. It's actually every week now. Um, every week they're going to be hearing from me on energy. And over time, what you need with any new perspective is you need repeat exposures. Right. So like today, I try, even if you notice the way I present, like I try to repeat, like come back and not, and I used to not do that enough. So, because the goal of the speaking is you want, 
you want to actually take something in your head and put it in someone else's head. So your goal is not to be good looking or cool or like the only goal is like you want something in their head. And the best way to do that is repeat exposures of material. So in, in marketing it's what's called capture. So you want them on a list or on Facebook where they're going to see it over and over. So the best thing for me is when we, and the best results are not, the first time is good, but the first time is just you capture their attention. Because they never heard it before, it's a lot. So it's just you have enough credibility to get them to sign up on a list, and then they see it over and over and over. And then they have, we have a podcast that has 50 episodes. They listen to the podcast, and that's for me the heartening thing is that we have created a body of material that if someone really is interested, they can get really, really good, and, and that they can be really convinced. When you you had this, uh, you were speaking. Was it a Duke where the group walked out on you? That was at Vassar. At Vassar. But when, the, uh, when you had, could you talk about that a little bit? And, what, and also, what was the response of the people that stayed after they walked out? Yeah, and this is, this is online. Um, there's some articles about it. It is Vassar College. There's this broader movement called the divestment movement, which is the idea that uh, no one should, everyone should sell all their stocks in fossil fuel companies. And it's primarily a means of shaming them, like making them like pariahs. And it's something we're working on opposing, and, and I was opposing at the time, so they asked me if I'd speak about it at Vassar, I said, yeah, of course. And they, uh, the divestment people, one of the aspects of, because their philosophy is unquestioned and because no one challenges their tactics, they generally have what we call the moral high ground, so they're always acting superior, so the assumption is if I'm defending fossil fuels, I should be ashamed of myself and this kind of thing. And so they tried to intimidate the event organizer to not have me, and I think they they said they should just pay my fee and I wouldn't come speak, <laughs> yeah. which normally I'd be fine with, but under the, <laughs> under the circumstances I did not want to not, not go. So we went, and I was impressed by how many people showed up, because usually what happens is the, the student, I always hear the same story, students tell me, oh, like, watch out, all the environmentalists are going to show up whenever I go to... A, and I said, I said, I, and they're they're worried that this is going to be a problem for me. And I said, no, the problem is that they're not going to come because they're not going to show up unless they have a, something to gain. And it, if they've seen me on YouTube, they probably don't think they're going to do that well. That they probably haven't even seen me. But and unless they're willing to throw a pie at me or something like that, or I'm famous, I'm not famous enough yet. So they have nothing to gain. It's not like they actually want to engage in a discussion with someone on the opposing side. They have no motivation to do that. So they never come. So it, Not never, but often they don't come. But what you do get in the better people, like when the event is well organized, it's not the hardcore environmentalists that go, It's the, but it's the people who've been indoctrinated by them. So it's really good to get those guys who are just interested in the issues. That's great. But um, at Vassar, the whole thing was full. It was full pretty early. And some people were wearing Dick Cheney masks. Uh, I knew, I, I, I sensed that they weren't going to consider themselves kindred spirits. <laughs> now that I have a Dick Cheney superhero costume myself, but uh, yeah, but I was like, okay, they're there. And I, you know, as you can probably tell, I like talking to audiences. I don't, I don't like just nobody likes to hear anyone talk for an hour straight. Anyway, least of all me. So, I, and I want, I knew that they were seething. Like, if you're a hostile audience, one thing is you have to let them talk early because they are, what they're doing in their head, they're not listening because they're so mad. They're, they're, what they're doing is they're preparing for a fight. Like, they're thinking, they're listening to every word for the purpose of how can I 
humiliate this guy once I get the chance for the question period. So I know this. I, I sympathize. Um, I mean, if I'm listening to Al Gore, I'm feeling the same way. I mean, I'm not like, oh, maybe Al has a new point for me today. <laughs> but granted, I've studied it a bit more. But I think I'm sitting there, and so I, I always just, I'll often say, okay, well, so let's do some word associates. So everyone in the room, probably 70 people, like, if I say fossil fuels, what's the first word that comes to mind? And the whole thing's like, dirty, dirty, horrible, da 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 da. So, okay, so. You can probably guess that I have a viewpoint, but I appreciate it. And then I started asking some questions to the point where this is just kind of a fun thing to note about how to talk to audiences. Um, to the point where, like, they were really dying to hear me speak. At some point, someone said, like, stop asking us questions. I want to know what you think. I said, okay, but... So then, then, they were, and then they were pretty polite, right? And then at a certain point, was, the timing was so bad, I was making a point about this idea of fossil fuels improve the planet, which I've indicated, but I was talking about the issue of, of agriculture. And so how, without oil-based machines, you know, we would have mass starvation. I mean, oil is the, the great oil industry, I say, seriously solve world hunger, because they're the ones who created the machines that make it possible to harvest so much weed and so much everything else so efficiently. And the oil industry also produces natural gas, which is like the key thing to make modern fertilizer. And I, I, I remember, and I see, I've seen on the video subsequently, so I make this point, right, which is a seemingly important point, and I get down, but they're waiting. I don't know. I, I'm too stupid to realize what's coming. So I reach down to get my water. And then this guy, I don't know why they picked him, because his, his English was, like, bottom notch. Um, <laughs> but he reads some statement that I could barely make out. But it's something like, you know, Alex Epstein doesn't care about life, da 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 and then it's like, Join us for a civilized discussion. It's ironic, right? He's trying to get everyone to leave for a civilized discussion. And and I started cracking up. I thought, oh, that's clever. Yeah, I'm like, I, I can see why you did that. Um, and then, so then they leave. And I'm like, okay. And then two-thirds of the people were there. And, and the rest of the campus was so, so mad at them. I like that song. So it's, you don't have to pay the fine. But it was just interesting how... Like, everyone else was much more offended than I was. I mean, because if you're... If one of the things about just speaking is, like... It's, there's no room in it when you're doing it to get offended by stuff. or Like, it, it just doesn't... I wasn't thinking of it that way. And I also know, they're, if they're trying to embarrass me, what, I know what they want. I mean, they want me to get mad. I'm not going to get mad at, at these little clowns. So I just thought it was funny. Like, oh, that's pretty clever. But I thought they were going to get the whole room, but they didn't. They only got a third, which is a really stupid idea. They thought this was going to be some great persuasive thing. And so the students rebelled, and there's a good testimonial that, I don't know where it is on our website, but uh, um, the kid who ran, this guy Julian, essentially, like, the whole, that group, like, disbanded. They were all humiliated. Everyone was denouncing them. So this is the this ended up being the school that I was most popular at. <laughs> I don't think the presentation was any better than average, but it was just they were so embarrassed by uh, by what they did. So, but but what for me was was very heartening was that realize and this has been an insight over the last year that the green movement is not very popular among many people. It's accepted by default by many, many people. So that's the scary thing, that everyone sort of accepts, like, do you believe in global warming? I would say yes, or they'll be afraid. But a speech for an hour can make a big dent 
in a lot of people. So that was heartening that maybe more motivated to go on college campuses. Now you have to do it the right way. I mean, all the kinds of things, like including what, what you mentioned before about if you're just arguing against everything they've heard, it doesn't work. And if you're just conceding all the premises, it doesn't work. But if you say, like, look, let's, I just want to explain this out. I think about things. We agree this is the goal. We want to make the planet the best possible place for human beings. Let's look at what the evidence is. If you do it right, they've never heard anyone talk any sense about this kind of thing or even explain it. Right. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a scientist yesterday, um, and she admitted she didn't know anything about it, uh, which is good. That, and if they admit they don't know, they're a great candidate. Mm -hmm. No, because most people pretend they know everything that, that yes. they don't know. Um, but like, she had no idea. And just even by explaining just this is the actual controversy, <coughs> it becomes really interesting and you get a lot of credibility. Because notice when I started, I didn't even say what's right and what's wrong. It's just, okay, here's the view, here's the view, here's the view, uh, here's the view. So it, it's very heartening to me that there's just the, the, like there's the hardcore people and then it's so diluted and ineffectual among uh, the rest. It's, and, it's, and it's different in many ways from, like, from Europe or something. Europe is much more, I mean, it's not one country, but in some ways it might as well be. If you compare it to America, Europe is so <laughs> inferior in terms of like individualism and really valuing individual human lives. And so it's so, like, the people really believe the green stuff in a much deeper way. Like, there's a much more, there's much more of a belief that there's something wrong with being human beings. And so there's a reason why we don't have CIP Europe. Like, and, and, and it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of really nice things about Europe, but you can just see with other things, too, that they, I mean, something that's a whole other topic, but, like, multiculturalism. The idea is that all cultures are of equal value. It's one of the most transparently bizarre ideas ever. If you think that like human mutilation is a bad thing, because that's a, there are cultures that that's a central component of. But like in Europe, it's to the point where they just they like suspend laws for other quote cultures and. You know, you have honor killings and like that kind of thing doesn't fly in the U.S. We've lost utterly lost confidence in Western civilization. Yeah, exactly. So the U.S. is utterly. much, it's much better, and so that's what's heartening to me. Yes. Um, when I first started hearing about the global warming thing, the first thing that I thought of, and I'm not knowledgeable in it, uh, uh, was logic. If the weather forecasters can't predict tomorrow <laughs> that it's going to rain, every prediction is practically wrong. So, uh, but, but, so this is where we have to be careful because we think sometimes one way to think of it is are there other equivalents? Like for example, it's easier to make a like a long-term financial market projection than it is like to pick a like an exact stock. Like you can have an economist who's a horrible investor. But it can break long-term trends. Now, but the parallel is another parallel, which is that it is really hard to predict long-term trends in economics besides, in general, over 300 years, if the government doesn't destroy everything, people will be wealthier, right? Mm -hmm. And so you, but what you want to look at is, is um, so like the day-to-day, -day, it's possible that the, the, the big thing that determines the day-to-day -day averages out over time 
into the year to year. So year yeah, if you predict every day it's going to rain, then one day it's going to rain. No, 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 no. But I mean that. I mean that. Like, let's say, let's say there's. Let's imagine. You could imagine. You could imagine hypothetically that the climate system, just by its nature, was something where on a day-to-day -day basis you had all sorts of different storms and sometimes warm, sometimes cool, but that over a long period of time it, it was more or less average. In fact, this is what it is. It hasn't changed that much in the last 150 years. Um, yeah. so, the, so you don't, the, the fact of this variability, it could mean, but it, it also changes day-to-day -day sometimes and then the climate changes dramatically, like getting out of the ice age is, I think, a much faster transition. So you just have to be careful with Usually, another way to think of it is, usually the error is not something completely transparent, like like that they just are unaware of, of, of I mean, that's an, it's an important point to think about, but it's not usually that simple. It's usually that they're, they're deliberately confusing uh, the issues. I mean, they're, that, they're, that they're taking something true and putting it together with something uh, false. So, so we, in our heads, I think one, one other perspective is the model that we're taught of, of people being right and wrong is that there's just like one claim and one person says X, like one person says 50 and one person says five. And like one is right and one is wrong. And, but the way we're actually, you know, we're, we're dealing with problems that have, with questions that there are many, many premises involved in, in terms of what do we do about false truth. There are many, many different things going on uh, at the same time. And usually, a lot of the times, it's that, that the way that whether everything is being put together accurately. It's not usually just one factual point. It's, it's are you ignoring, for example, um, all the, if you're talking about we should get rid of fossil fuels, are you ignoring all the benefits of fossil fuels? There'll be something like that versus it's not usually the claim, it's not usually the one fact. So it's, just in the examples we've talked about global warming, I haven't focused too much, I don't know even know if on one occasion I've brought up a factual dispute. It's usually the facts are left out. Um, but it's not, it doesn't usually come down to like one, one killer fact that will change everything. It's the perspective, it's like getting clear on what, what's the, what's, what, what's the goal? Like, how are we going to judge what's right and wrong? So if the goal is to maximally improve human life, what's our conclusion? Okay, that fossil fuels improve it for these reasons, and then making sure we've accounted for all the reasons. And you look at the other side, they don't have a clear goal, they don't have a clear conclusion, and they ignore 75% of the stuff, and thus the other 25% is this. So the way in which these, these delusions occur is not just there's one wrong fact that everyone is. We wish it was that way. Yes. Uh, all right. W what does the future hold now? Because we're seeing that government and corporations are on this bandwagon. Yeah. They've yeah. infiltrated the schools, right. yeah. brainwashed everybody practically, right. and the media. Right. They don't care one way or another about science now because the debate's over. And they stand to benefit financially. Anytime anyone says the debate, you have to say like, "What is the science? What is the debate? What do you mean by?" Well, they're not talking. They're not. They're not responding. They're not debating. Exactly. They're not yeah. They've assumed victory. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, but so then, what's the question? How do we? 
how do we recover our, our uh, individual freedom and not be stripped of our wealth because of what they plan to do with all this? Well, and I think from my perspective, a lot of what's going on is that why do I, why do I have like, I don't have an I hate Al Gore shirt on. But, but what's going on is that, that a lot of it is that people have never been taught the value of the positives. They haven't been taught the value of capitalism, industrial civilization, and then of the key industries and components of it. And what I found, part of the reason I started Center for Industrial Progress and made it a very like progress message, because I found the most effective thing when I was speaking was to get people really excited about what energy could do for their lives. So just explaining something like, you know, that most, you know, maybe people don't even know, but like the that oil, that just about everything in this room is made of oil. You know, there are geniuses and, the, and, and it serves a purpose. So how is it that, you know, water bottles, everyone's always criticizing water bottles. Water bottles are life and death. For so, I mean, they're, first of all, it's nice for me. I can pretty be clear. No, if someone didn't like me, I'm pretty clear I'm not poisoned, right, if I have a fresh. No, but in, the, in like the undeveloped world, like that, how do you get clean water? You bring it in a water yeah. bottle. What are they? What, that's in comparison to like pottery, mm -hmm. which is what they used to do. So just think of, a we should be amazed by all these technologies, but be like like this is oil, this is oil, like the carpet right. is oil, the insulation yeah, is it's oil. It's actually natural gas, but go on. What is? <laughs> Polyethylene. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a natural gas derivative, <laughs> but it's also a petroleum derivative. Right, exactly. As a result, but it's, it's actually natural gas. Doesn't matter. But it's part of the. Right. Right, but I mean, <laughs> well, water bottles are bad now. What's that? They're bad. Now. Right. No, I mean, so so we can talk about the evolution of the petrochemical market now that you have natural gas is a real commodity. But at the beginning of it, maybe it's not. I assume you're getting most of it from straight oil because you're not recovering that much natural gas like in 1940 or whatever polyethylene was first synthesized. These glass back then. They didn't have polyethylene in 1940. A little bit. No. What industry are you? <laughs> well, I run a PR company. But we have a but we have a green we have a green segment. Uh oh. So they have to. Do they have invisible water bottles? No, they don't. But uh, I can I can tell you some stuff. I don't want to interrupt. Oh yeah, speech, yeah, no, just, uh, yeah. So final technical diversion. So what? Uh, anyway, the the positive is the most important. If we notice in the debate that there's not much enthusiasm. Uh, about that, and yet it's it's really fascinating. And in general, in general, if you think about what people get excited about, one thing is technology, and one thing is to to take energy and put, realize energy is a technology, and that it's really cool that we can take fossil fuels, which are ancient dead plants, and we can turn them into you know a honeymoon. Like if people are taking a honeymoon, everyone in America should know, you know, thank you, thank you, fossil thank fuel you industry, yeah. and. It's it's uh, and that's how I myself got passionate about it. It wasn't, I mean, I, I I've understood what's wrong with environmentalism one way or another for a long time, but it wasn't my focus until I got really positively enthused about energy. So if you if you check out our site and stuff, one thing you'll notice is that there's a lot more uh, of the positive. It didn't it wasn't my focus. I mean, I was focused more with this audience on how to think about these things, but. Just watch how I'll present to a college audience extremely uh, positive approach, like fossil fuels improve the planet. When we're talking about climate, first thing I want you to understand is how great is it that we're so safe from the climate? Like that's, that's you know, <laughs> thing number one. 
And we're out of time, right? Yes, Alex, why don't you mention again uh, where they should go on the internet? Okay, so industrialprogress.com, hopefully Mike can, di can distribute the list. If you get on the newsletter, that's, if you want to, if you're going to help us and hopefully help yourself, get on the newsletter uh, that then you'll hear from us every week. And there we will, like at the moment, since we're a for-private company, we don't have as many outlets. But in the next couple months, we're going to have a lot more ways for, for people to get uh, involved. I think Alex brought the issue in on a very fundamental level, which I appreciate, because we mostly sit around arguing about did the temperature really go up or go down. And, this perspective is, I think, incredibly important, and I want to thank you for this wonderful talk. All right, thanks for listening to How to Think About Global Warming. Now, this is usually the part of the show where I offer my final thoughts on the guest's thoughts or the guest's facts, uh, but today, since I was the guest, I don't really have much to say about it. I think I covered it. I covered pretty much what I wanted to uh, in that talk. Uh, so I'll just tell you a little bit about what I've been up to lately, perhaps make an excuse for this power hour being late. Uh, you know, one of the, and I see CIP as having one basic audience, but then other very important audiences. So our basic audience is the general public, or more particularly the active members of the general public, who truly value freedom, who value industrial progress, or who would value freedom and value industrial progress if they truly understood them. That's always going to be our, our main purpose, is, is educating people in that direction, moving hearts and minds in that direction. But to, a crucial, to aid in that mission, a crucial part of that mission, I think, is to find the highest leveraged parts of the culture who also have an interest in, in our goals and to help them do their job better, which will help them and will help us. And one major group there is businesses. And one thing that's been really gratifying about about running Center for Industrial Progress is there's been a lot of interest from communicators in business in learning a lot of the, the content and the methodology that we've developed at CIP. And I'm happy to say we uh, we work with a lot of different businesses improving their communications. And of course, we charge for it. By the way, this is this is the kind of thing that certain people consider incriminating. Oh my gosh, you get paid by the oil industry. Yeah, well, it took a while to get good enough to get paid by the oil industry. So I'm certainly certainly proud that they do, and I think it's a good it's a good sign that they're looking for proactive, uh, positive, morally confident communication instead of some of the uh, reactive, appeasing. Uh, often guilty communication that, that they've been guilty of in the past. Uh, so there's this just interesting view that, well, if you're in any way tied to the fossil fuel industry financially, that's a black mark against you. And, and given that a big part of our mission is to liberate uh, the fossil fuel industry, to liberate energy production, nothing nothing could be further from the truth. We're We're very eager to collaborate, so long as what we're collaborating on is is truly freedom. Now, you know, many organizations, and including nonprofit organizations, which are supposedly somehow oriented to be more moral, uh, you know, they have a lot of there are a lot of uh, dubious influences going on there. The most the most uh, obvious one in recent times being the Sierra Club taking 26 million dollars from Aubrey McClendon of Chesapeake Energy 
uh, you know, the natural gas industry to support the Beyond Coal campaign. And then once they once they achieved a lot of their goals, unfortunately, with regard to coal, they moved on to the Beyond Gas campaign. So there, you know, you wish that was funny, but it isn't because both of those are such, uh, you know, such despicable movements. Um, so yeah, there's a right way and a wrong way to work with industry, but for sure, it's so important that the people with the greatest intellectual clarity and the greatest powers of persuasion uh, collaborate with anyone who needs them. And I think uh, the business world needs it. And then they, you know, to to influence them, to help them, is to dramatically help the cause uh, of freedom. So I'm just I thought some of you might like to know about that. Those of you who work in the industry, uh, feel free to uh, recommend us to anyone. You can always contact me personally at alex at industrialprogress.net. Uh, that goes doubly for any kind of speaking engagements. Anyone is interested, whether you're a student or whether you are at a company or whether, you know, an environmental group uh, wants to have me speak, uh, that would be an interesting first. Uh, but I guess I guess they should. Anyway, alex at industrialprogress.net. All right. That is all for this week. Um, make sure to share this episode with your friends. As always, questions, comments, love mail, hate mail, go to alex at industrialprogress.net. Next week, we'll be back with another show, a new guest. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.